Profane Faith, a podcast that engages faith on the margins. Faith that has been labeled profane, nonconformist, and or out there. We'll be exploring the intersections of the sacred, secular, and profane to find God. I'm your host, Daniel White Hodge. Well, hey, welcome to Profane Faith. This is your host, your boy, the hostess with the mostest. Oh man, I, I should have said that. All right, <laughs> this is Dan White Hodge, Daniel White Hodge, uh, Doctor Daniel White Hodge. Uh, well, I'll get into the doctor here uh, in a little bit. Um, but I'm sure if you're listening to this, you're probably wondering, man. All right, so what is profane faith? Well, it's a couple of different things. Uh, if you if you followed me, if you've ever heard me um, speak anywhere in particular, you know that I've used three terms over and over and over. And those are the sacred, the secular, and the profane. Um, I think those three, those three areas are really, at least for me, as I'm thinking about just faith, theology, my own faith walk, um, is something that is where I begin to really see God show up in. And I know that's not necessarily orthodox, right? I mean, that's not the, the, the standard way of, looking at religion and thinking about faith, right? You don't think about the profane or you don't think about the secular. I know I was raised thinking that the secular, anything that has to do with the secular is not good. And I think, you know, when we, when we begin to think about what it means to be a faith leader or a person of faith. Um, most people don't think about, you know, profanity. <laughs> most people don't think about, you know, the secularism. And so um, I wanted to explore that. And for me, cause I've found God in those intersections and the profane faith, I think is not so much again, that we're looking at all oh, the things that are just profane. No, we're looking at faith that is, been excommunicated, that has been disinherited from their religious tradition, that has been cut off, that, is, that has been labeled, been defined as non-standard. How do we begin to look at somebody who is involved in engaged with a deity like God, like Jesus, um, and still uses four-letter words or maybe still drinks or does the things that we wouldn't typically associate with people of faith. So I guess what I'm really wanting to really explore um, with this podcast is what does faith look like in a very broad band spectrum. Um, so a little thing, a little few things about me. So hopefully that explains um, just where I'm at and where this particular podcast is going to head. Um, I know most people check out the episode zero zero. So I'm trying to kind of give you an overview. I'm going to be doing interviews. Um, I'll have a few co-hosts that I'll be uh, using on and off. Um, I belong to the American Academy of Religion. And so I'll be going to that. I go to my guild every year. So I'll be bringing you some folks here like James Cone and Kelly Brown Douglas uh, and Dr. Monica Coleman, uh, Monica Miller, uh, who can talk 
talk about faith from their own tradition and from their own understanding. And so we're not just going to necessarily actually just have the the head talk either because i know you probably you probably think oh man this, this is just another phd dude with like you know a podcast a microphone and a computer now that's not the case um i really want to explore um this so i'll get to a little bit about me in a second but i really want to the genesis of this really came after the november 2016 presidential elections um i think Wow. I mean, a lot changed for me. And I know a lot of other people who are ethnic minorities, who are justice and civic oriented, who are community based organizers. You know, the world changed. The world has changed. And I would say it was as significant, if not more significant than something like 9-11. I mean, you have these momentary era changes uh, and, you know, the world changed in 9-11. We all know that it changed when those two planes ran into the tower because at the end of the day, we have laws now that are built on that. We have uh, constructs within our society that are, that are built around those things. So we can't overlook moments like that. And so, I mean, and, and here's the thing. I, I knew Trump 45, however you want to identify him, Trumpster was going to be elected um, probably around May or June of 2016. So I knew it was coming. I think what, got me i think the 81 percent of white evangelicals um that voted for him i mean for me that was like wow i've spent a large part of my career walking with talking with going and speaking in chapels thinking man this is what i should be doing right oh reconciliation we're gonna we're building bridges so i i kind of felt like all right He's going to get elected, but man, surely 81%. I think that number just caught me off guard, to be honest with you. Um, and I don't know why, because I look back on it now, it's like, man, all the signs were pointed there. You know, when you think about divided by faith, you know, the classic text, right? Christian Smith, Michael Emerson, you know, the, those those numbers. And that was all the way back in 2001. When you think about just the 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 racial divide, the, the, the growing income inequality that exists between white and black family households, that is something that, you know, I could look back and be like, dude, why, why, why would you think that that, that that was anything surprising? But I was, I think because I wanted to believe in my heart that what I was doing was the right thing, right? I wanted to believe in my heart that, that I was somehow making a difference and that I was somehow, I don't know, that I was somehow helping whites particularly white particularly white christian evangelicals you know see a different pattern and i think for me uh, my world just changed my world has changed um brandy miller who we'll have on the show here uh tweeted a um a a great tweet that said you know today i serve my divorce papers to evangelicalism and I, i really have to i couldn't i couldn't agree with that statement more uh, and, and, you know, and I know some people probably listen thinking, man, evangelical, like, oh my gosh, like you're not an evangelical. No, I'm not. I don't identify as an evangelical. I don't want to be associated with evangelicalism. I think just historically, when you start thinking about just where evangelicals have been, I think that my gosh, I mean, sure. The term and the understanding that, okay, yes, some were, uh, against slavery. They were against, um, um, you know, they, they helped in slavery. I get that. I get some of those history points. But I think what we see now as Christian evangelical, I, 
I'm struggling to understand how that actually engages with a broader space and a broader theological connected to the to the global knowledge of Christianity. Because see, for me, it's about starting, not starting during enslavement period of understanding my Christian heritage, but it's going all the way back prior to Western influence to that. So I have to go back to 500 CE or AD, however you want to call that, right? I have to go back to mid and Western and South Africa to begin to figure out, and of course, Northwestern Africa to figure out, man, what's my heritage? Man, what, where, where, where does my theology really come from? Because if I get it from the imperialized, the colonized minds of Europeans, it's always going to put me as a black man behind. It's always going to leave me wanting. And I think that journey started long before Trump. That started during my master's. That started during uh, what I like to call kind of my crisis of faith, my Job moment. Um, which I'll get into in another episode. And one of the episodes is going to be me just telling my story. I know, I know, nihilistic, or not nihilistic, but um, narcissistic. But hey, you know, we're kind of in that era, right? Um, so I think, yeah, the, 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 there's, there's, for me, white evangelicalism is is really lost its its reputation. And I think there's one, this, this kind of 45 getting elected is really one last grip, one last kind of stronghold if you will, on the culture. Um, I think things have changed. I think as you grow, your faith should be developing with it. For so long, I think our faith has been, particularly here in the United States, has been very basic, very, um, it hasn't been something that is um, growing. And right, I mean, let me give you an example. So when I first started um, uh, uh, teaching in, in a Christian higher ed, um, you know, the word justice was like the F word. No one wanted to deal with that. No one wanted to deal with um, the aspects of justice or, you know, it was always told like, oh, man, you know, you that's the social gospel. You know, you don't want to be doing the social gospel. I mean, why would anybody want to be doing, you know, uh, and I, don't get me wrong. I still have colleagues today who would argue with me in the faith and be like, look, um, <laughs> you know, all that social stuff. That's not the gospel. You know, that's just that's good works. But that's not the gospel. Of course, I would vehemently disagree with that. Um, so I think, you know, when we start to look at, again, just theology and Christianity as a whole, what is it really saying? Like, what, is it, what does it really mean when you have 81%? And so I think for me, it was a wake-up call that I really need to get back to my roots. I really need to be engaging with other ethnic minorities and pouring my time into them rather than going to white churches who haven't been listening anyways. Now, I know, again, and I'm not necessarily characterizing all white churches that way, but 81%, that is a big number. And we can't deny that. I don't think we can look at that and say, oh, well, you know, that's a fluke. No, this number, that that has really been rising. And so for me, that strikes me. And I, as, as an educated black man, racially I'm black, ethnically I'm African-American and Mexican-American. I'll get in more into that um, uh, in a little bit. And of course, when I do my episode of my story, I'll, you know, I'll definitely go into depth about that. But as somebody who's an ethnic minority, as a black man, I have begun a journey of decolonizing my theological mind because I believe so much of racism is not only embedded in worldviews and in the systems that we see and frequent every day, but it's also in our theology. 
And when it's in there, it's really like in the drinking water. You can't escape it. So I'm challenged. I'm challenged. And so um, I write a lot. Um, You know, I'll post all these things. You can go look at my website, whitehodge.com. And, you know, all that stuff is up there, right? The books and the articles that I've written. So I knew, you know, and I did some blogging way back in the day, but I knew what I can really do is talk. (laughs) Um, I know a lot of people. I know a lot of people who are connected to some form or another regarding faith. So I said, I really want to do this. I really want to do a podcast on faith. And the initial title, I was going to go with uh, Faith Disrupted, but then somebody else had that title. But then I thought, nah, to disrupt profane faith. My wife actually came up with that. That's her credit, <laughs> uh, which I'm going to have on the show as well. So again, that'll be, these are, this is, the podcast is really about our conversations and not trying to seek answers. And I think that's part of the problem with just Western evangelicalism in general, particularly Western Christianity, just as a whole, is that we want answers, right? We want things to work out just the right way. Uh, We want things to make sense. I mean, think about all the comments going back to 9-11. Think about all the folks who said, man, I can't believe this. This this happened in this country. How can this happen? You know, so many people who said, oh, this is the end of the world. And, and, uh, you know, the world's going to be ending. Oh, my gosh. I mean people we really do and and I, and I include myself in that it's not like you know I'm telling you anything that is um you know that is that that I myself not dealing with either um I think that you know I I like things when they work out I like things when they are um easy I mean who doesn't right I mean who doesn't like stuff that isn't good that isn't easy that isn't uh you know that it just comes together so we, I think part of this is that, you know, church has, is, has turned into this, let's make you feel comfortable. Let's, let's give you some answers. Let's, uh, let's answer all the questions because we have the answer, which is one of the main problems with, I think, Christian art in general, mainstream Christian, evangelical Christian art, um, because it seeks to answer eternal questions. And that's what makes artists like Tupac, Kanye, 2003 2005 don't get it twisted um Kendrick Lamar Eve I mean I think it's what makes artists like that so important because they are connecting with a mysterium part of God and I think that's what this generation is trying to say it's like look God can't be explained away in three classes God can't be explained away by um a pastor In fact, I don't even want those type of answers. I want to be able to kind of sit in that tension. And a lot of us don't like that. I know I don't. I know when I first had my crisis of faith, man, it's, oh, man. Because, you know, it's it's easy to praise God and walk with God, right, when the sun's out. And it's a blue sky and money's in the bank and, you know, everything's on location. But, man, it's something else, right, to be like, whoa, what in the hell just happened? And that's part of profane faith. If you've never had an outright just yelling session with God and really just letting stuff loose, man, where are you in your faith walk? I mean, do you think that God is sitting up there and just and just can't handle four letter words? <laughs> do you think that God's up there and be like, oh, you know, you never. But, you know, that's the thing. I think we treated God so much like the boogeyman or boogeywoman depending on your theological tradition, or, or, or boogie they, you know, gender pronouns. Um, but we've treated God with this kind of boogie persona 
not the good kind of boogie. <laughs> and we have left out the mysterious part of who God is. You know, one of the uh, the ideas and notions, I'm also very much into uh, astrophysics and astronomy, so you'll hear some of that stuff come out. Um, and one of the ideas that I've actually had in regards to, you know, God is like, what if God is just a higher alien life form going around planting different, you know, life around the universe? You know, what if God lives in a completely different dimension because God is that smart that can figure that stuff out? So what if God gets back and be like, man, what, what the hell are y'all doing here? Why did y'all go and kill each other over me? Like, really? Did you hear anything that I said? So I don't know. Those are one of the things. I'm going to expound more on that. Trust me, that'll be a whole episode. I'm going to be bringing in some astronomers and stuff. This is going to be, like I said, this is going to be a live podcast. This, this, so you you still listening. Like, this this is going to be good. This is going to be real good. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. And I'm excited for you. You know what I'm saying? So that, in a, in a real quick nutshell is essentially what I'm trying, the goal here. The goal here is not for answers. The goal here is to wrestle with tension, to wrestle with disagreement, to wrestle with faith that does not make any sense, but to yet still have faith. That's what I want to engage with. And I think that is something worthy of a theological journey. And I think if everything is on location and everything makes sense, what is the need for God? I mean, really, what is the need for a God? If I can fix things, if I know how far a particular area is, if I know where to go, why do I need God? Well, I don't. And I think that's part of what this generation, particularly those under the age of 22, are asking and saying, you know, what? what is the purpose of God? You know, it's like, it's just to live good. Is it like uh, Kendrick Kesey Dean talks about moralistic therapeutic deism? You know, is God some cosmic ATM? I don't know. Um, I would hope not. You know, um, I would hope not. Um, and uh, but that's that's what I want to wrestle with. That's what I want to engage with. So going back to I, I know I said it. I said a little bit more about me, but I wanted to kind of give you a, a girth, if you will, the girth of, of this of, of what this podcast is going to envelop and what it's going to be about. Um, a little bit about me again, as I've already told you, uh, I am of Mexican American heritage and also African American. Um, my mom was Mexican. I actually grew up speaking Spanish. Spanish was my, actually my first language. My, my grandmother, um, who was technically my great aunt, I was, but I was raised by her and I really do consider her my grandmother. She passed unfortunately in 2009 and at 91, she lived a great life. And I, she is really one of my heroes of the faith, but here's the thing, you know, you'll never read one of her books. You'll never see her name in a library, especially a seminary library. Right? You go to seminaries and got all these old dead white guys up there. Maybe one woman, right? Who did the children's ministry, right? <laughs> oh, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Um, but she was a fervent, fervent prayer, fervent person who wanted, who was seeking the face of God. I miss her prayers. Uh, I miss her warmth. I miss her apple pies. <laughs> Um, I wish she was still around. Um, next year would mark her hundredth hundredth year on this planet if she were still alive. But I was raised by her. She didn't speak good English, and she raised me. My mom um, got pregnant with me young, and uh, my dad just kind of left. <laughs> we didn't kind of. He did. Last time I saw him was July eighteenth, nineteen eighty two. And so, uh, growing up, uh, my mom was essentially rejected by her own family, her mom and dad. So she moved to Texas because my grandmother, who I call my grandmother, Dee Dee, 
is what's her name? Dee Dee is, is uh, what's her name? Um, she was like, hey, come live over here, and you know, you can stay here, raise your kid. Uh, and I don't think my mom really wanted to go. You know, she was in Berkeley. She was a part of the Black Panther movement. She was like involved. She's going out. But say, like, hey, I got a kid. I got to I got to do this. And my biological grandmother, uh, who's still alive, uh, had actually, you know, very conservative Baptist, you know, had actually uh, encouraged her to get an abortion. Uh, and thank God she didn't. Now, don't get don't get it twisted. I'm I'm not saying I'm, you know, I'm, I want to take down Roe versus Wade and, you know, and no, 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 no. But here's the thing. I'm glad my mom didn't get an abortion. I'm really glad she didn't. And I think, man, wow. I mean, when I think back about it, I mean, just the stuff to be a single Latina mom. And where I grew up in Menard, Texas, uh, was a real small rural community. And like I said, I'll get more into this and talking about the, just kind of my faith journey there. Cause that was, I was the only black kid. And, uh, that was a challenge, a big time challenge. And so, um, you know, I saw my dad maybe three times my entire life. Last time being, of course, 1982. And so, um, you know, that that affects a brother, especially growing up during the 80s. Uh, my mom ended up getting addicted to crack. We ended up moving back to California um, uh, during the 80s, the mid 80s. And, um, you know, that was a big that 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 affected that affected her. That affected, um, you know, our family situation that affected the way we thought about everything. I mean, and, you know, so I essentially raised myself for almost two years and, you know, that has an impact on how, on how I view the world, on how I see God. And so, uh, yeah. So fast forward, long story short, got married in 2001 and, um, still married. Um, and, uh, I have a daughter, beautiful daughter, Mahalia Joy, White Hodge. We're all White Hodges. I took my wife's last name is middle name and she took my last name so we're all white hodges why so that's hence the hence the name white hodge and you'll see that on the website as well whitehodge.com white hodge podcasting white hodge podcast so it it it, it, when i think about just my my journey here i mean i i've taught religion i've taught introduction to religion i've taught theology i've taught youth ministry (laughs) um you know, and it's, it's challenging to be in the classroom because you get students, particularly undergrads, who think, man, I know it all. <laughs> I had one young brother tell me, he was 19, and he was telling me, this is what I was teaching youth ministry. Because, oh, by the way, if you didn't know, I'm a college professor. as <laughs> well. I've been in higher ed since about 2002. Um, and so I like it. It really, at this point in my life, it really is my calling. I have reserved, um, not saying anymore. I've, I've, this is my third career. The first career I had, uh, well, really four of you include include the hustling, the underground, uh, economy that I was doing when I was young. Um, but I was in construction and I did that for a long time thing. Oh man, this, I ain't never going to do anything else. This is what I'm doing. And along comes ministry and I got involved with young life. Then I was, oh man, I'm, I remember when I was interviewing for an area director, they were like, man, are you comfortable being an area director the rest of your life? I was like, heck yeah, man, I'm going to be in this forever. I'm going to get married. My kid's going to be going to Young Life Camp. Nope. Here comes higher education. Um, and so, like I said, I, you know, it's, it's been a good run. Um, and I'm tenured at North Park University in Chicago. Um, very thankful, very uh, fortunate for that. That doesn't happen, particularly being an ethnic minority, being a black man. Uh, who speaks his mind. So yeah, that's, that's, that's what's happening. So going back to this brother that was 19 
Yeah, you know, he came in, you know, he's, he's talking all this stuff. And so I'm teaching youth ministry uh, courses and he's just like, why do I need to take this course? Right. He's talking about, you know, some basic intro class. Why do I need to take this course? I was just like, well, you know, that's part of the program and it's what you got to do. Well, you know, I have 10 years of youth ministry experience and I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> 10 years, you 19. So it was like, what, at 10, you were organizing volunteers. At, at 13, you know, you were putting uh, multi million dollar budgets together. At 16, you know, you had a volunteer team. It was like, come on, dude, for real. But that's kind of the mentality. So it's a challenge, right? It's a challenge, particularly dealing with white males in the classroom because they just want to assume. They just, well, they, first day of all, most of them assume that they are smarter than you. And that really the only reason you got here was because of, right, you guessed it. Um, affirmative action, right? And <laughs> no, I busted my butt. But you know you can't see that, right? And so the the understanding is is that oh, you must have just been given this. And so, in fact, I had a student. You know, when I used to teach uh, back in Southern California, um, you know, it was I had a student. You know, who's just straight up said, you know, I I I, I was angered the first time I saw you in the classroom because. I was wondering how many good white men they passed up just to hire you, right? right? That's the kind of I know some of you right now are listening, and be like, "Oh my gosh, yeah, that stuff really happens. That stuff, crazy stuff, is said to people of color, especially women of color." So guess what? We got to engage with that. And this is again, this is just a real brief intro about me. I'm going to give more detail about my own life, but I think those things are important. Intersectionality is a big thing and we can't overlook it. We can't overlook the fact that race, gender, sexual orientation, class, socioeconomics, shoot even your hair color, right? All matter. And it it really dictates how a lot of folks engage with you. So that's something to talk about as it relates to faith. So that's us in a nutshell. Me, uh, I look forward to engaging with you. Um, the website will have, well, you know, it's going to be located at uh, whitehotpodcasts.com. Um, so I'll have show notes there. You can drop me a line. I'm also on Twitter as well at Dan White Hodge. Um, uh, I have most of my other social media is pretty locked up because there's some crazy fools out there, man. Don't be coming up in my place, you know, uh, talking about crazy stuff. So, um, yeah, most of us talk, but I'm definitely on Twitter a lot. And so you can come there. You can come hang out, chop it up with a brother. Um, Profane Faith will be online as well. And, uh, and you know, there's going to be some good stuff. It's going to be some good stuff. So thanks for listening. Thanks for engaging. And I will see you in the next episode.